Let's turn over to Mark chapter 6. Is there anyone here that this is your first service that you've attended during this seminar? Can I see your hand? If this is your first one that you've been to? Praise the Lord. Still got a lot of new people. Well, welcome. What I've been teaching on is how to be positive in a negative world or how to be encouraged when everybody else is discouraged, how to be in faith when everybody else is unbelief. There's just a lot of different ways you can express this, but uh, there is a lot of iniquity abounding in our world today. And the Bible says that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And so we have to do something deliberate to counter this negativity and this coldness that is trying to cool our relationship towards God. So that's what we started talking about. And I've dealt with a number of different things. One of the first things I did was just say that you can walk in victory and confidence and boldness, be strong and of a good courage when everybody else is discouraged. You can do it because God commanded us to do it. He wouldn't have commanded us if we couldn't do it. And so I spent quite a bit of time talking about that and just discussing that. Last night, what I did was share about that if you are going to be positive in a negative world, if you're going to be in faith while everybody else is in unbelief, you've got to put a priority on the Word of God. And I could re-preach that message. I could preach that for the rest of my life. That is basically one of the most important things. And I don't believe you can have a very strong relationship with God if you don't know the Word of God. Because this is how He reveals Himself to us. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. All things. You know, that healing for Hannah, if they hadn't have gotten knowledge, Hannah might have been touched, but she would have had these symptoms come back. They wouldn't have known how to stood, and Hannah wouldn't be with us today. Knowledge is how God revealed himself and opened up a door to Ashley and Carly about this. Knowledge is how you get prosperity flowing in your life. Knowledge is how you are encouraged instead of discouraged. Man, that's just essential. In the next verse, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says... Uh, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So this knowledge that gives us everything that we need comes through the exceeding great and precious promises, which is talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is where this knowledge of God comes from. This is how He reveals Himself to us. You know, I think it's in 1 Samuel chapter 3, somewhere around verse 7, that it was talking about where God appeared unto Samuel when he was just a little kid and he was, op- he was working in the temple and he was waiting on Eli the priest. And it says that uh, Samuel is that, let's see. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. There is a connection there. If you don't have the word of God revealed unto you, you don't really know the Lord. You can't know the Lord apart from his word. This is how we get a revelation. You know, I was taught a lot of things as a kid. I was taught that God's one that killed my father when I was 12 years old, that he took him. He needed him in heaven more than I needed him is what the pastor said the morning he came over to tell me that my father had died. You know what? That's not true. God didn't need my dad in heaven. He wasn't short of angels or needed somebody else to work. That was wrong. God didn't kill my dad. I was told all kinds of things. And because of it, I had an opinion of God that kept me from having a 
intimate relationship with God because I was told that God put things on you to punish you. God's the one that made children sick. There were people telling Ashley and Carly that it was God's will for Hannah to die, that maybe he doesn't heal everybody. You know what? If they hadn't got hold of the truth, how do you think that would have made them feel towards this God that killed their daughter for however you package it? I guarantee you that hurts people's relationship with God. You need the truth of the Word of God. You cannot truly know God without knowing the revelation that is given in the Word. I just nearly preached on that again. But that, that is something that I could just preach on forever. I want to show you something that's subtle. Most people miss this, but look in Mark chapter 6. This is where Jesus fed the multitude. Mark chapter 6. In verse 35, it says, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far spent. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. You know, this is just exactly the way it is in the church as a whole today. Now, there's good churches but I'm saying that the church as a whole is not walking in the fullness of God and not meeting the needs of the people. And the people are saying, oh, if somebody's sick, we'll send them to the doctor. If somebody has a psychological problem, send them to the psychologist. If somebody has a financial problem, have you gone to social services? Have you checked with them? Have you applied for welfare yet? The church is sending people someplace else. And this is what the disciples wanted to do. Jesus, send the people away so that they can get their needs met. All you're for is just spiritual things. After a person dies, eternal things. Man, that's one of the reasons that the church isn't having a greater impact today is because God originally intended for the church to be meeting the needs of people not only spiritually but physically, getting their bodies healed. In Jesus' day, one of the reasons that he had the multitudes follow him is because he healed all of the people. And they they cut holes in the roof and let the sick down in the midst. He drew people. He used miracles to draw people. And some people think, oh, but we're so much better today. We have the word of God. We don't need miracles. How arrogant can you get to think that you got more than Jesus has? If Jesus needed miracles, if he used miracles to draw a crowd, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus was confirmed unto us through the signs and wonders that God used. If Jesus had to have himself confirmed, who do you think you are? How special are you that you're better than Jesus and you don't need miracles? I'm telling you, the church should be meeting the needs of people today. And it ought to be that when somebody is sick, that the first place they run is to the church. But if they did that, if you went to the average church in Phoenix today and said, man, the doctors told me I'm going to die. Would you please pray for me? The average church would say, well, why are you coming here? Why don't you go get treatment? Have you done this? Have you done this? We'd send them someplace else. If the average person has a financial need, well, you know, go apply for welfare. Go get this program. That's not what God intended. Did you know that welfare is a, the way it works in our society today is not a godly concept at all. It makes people dependent. Matter of fact, I read something on the internet. I think it was just yesterday or it might have been the day before about a woman who out of, uh, I think, 50-something years had only worked one year in her life 
She had lived on welfare, lived in government housing, had lived dependent upon the government. And she went out one year and worked and said, fooey on this. I don't like this. And came back and just started living off of the government. She was able-bodied. She could work, but she just said, why work when the government will pay you not to work? That's not good. That's not good. The Bible, if we were to follow the Bible's instructions, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, if you don't work, don't eat. If we said, all right, we'll help you temporarily while you're in this bad shape and we will help you go get a job or you go do something. And if we tied our welfare or our helping other people to them trying to do something, I guarantee you the welfare system would be different. But the church is supposed to do these things. The church originally started nearly everything that we now have given over to the government. Did you know that the first um, prison in the United States was started by the Presbyterians? Because back in the early days of this country, they didn't have prisons. They didn't have all of these kind of things. And they, if you stole a piece of bread, they'd whip you publicly. If you stole another piece of bread, they'd put you in stocks in a public square and humiliate you, trying to keep you from doing it. And if you did it a third time, they'd kill you, put you to death for stealing a piece of bread. That was kind of severe. And so the Presbyterians decided, you know, some of these people are just hungry and they could be rehabilitated if we had help them. And the Presbyterians started the first prison where they locked people up and rehabilitated them and taught them skills how to get out and work. And it was so successful that the government saw it work. And so the government started prisons and the church advocated their responsibility for helping people and gave it over to the government. And now we have a prison system that the recidivism, how do, how do you say that? Was that close? The return rate of people who have been in prison and get out and then go back to prison the return rate on that is something like 80 or 90%. If you weren't a criminal when you go to prison, you will be a criminal when you get out of prison. It's not working because the church should have done this. The church should have been rehabilitated. And when you put uh, like prison fellowship and other ministries that are going in, their success rate jumps up to where they have like 70 or 80% of the people that go through their program do not go back to prison. Because you put God into it and rehabilitate people and everything changes. But the government has taken over what the church started. The, did you know that church is the one that started schools? The government didn't start schools. It was not normal for people to have schools. And this nation was founded on the word of God. Thomas Jefferson started a Bible society and put a Bible into every child's hand in this country. People say that he was, you know, not a Christian and stuff. And he wasn't one of the best examples of a Christian. He had some things that weren't right, but he understood the power of the gospel. And he started a Bible study that put a Bible in the hand of every child in this nation. The church started schools and they used the Bible and the purpose of starting the schools was so people could read the word of God and could get changed. And the church started schools. And of course, as people became educated and were able to read, it made a difference. Those people succeeded and prospered more than people that didn't have education. The government saw the benefit and so the government took it over. And now we have an educational system that is basically telling people 
that a homosexual lifestyle is just part of it, that some, some of you are homosexuals and they're teaching this in their school. They're teaching acceptance of these things. They are making fun of the Bible. They have kicked God out of schools, kicked prayer out of schools because the church shouldn't have ever turned responsibility for education over to the government. Most of us have been raised under that system and we haven't even questioned it, but it shouldn't have ever been this way. I got all of that out of saying that the disciples said, send them away. Send them someplace else. Don't you meet their needs. You're only for spiritual things. Send them somewhere else because you, uh, you know, Christians can't meet anything except just spiritual eternal needs. Because of that kind of an attitude, the vast majority of people don't see the church as relevant. It's just for eternity. It's after you die and go to be with the Lord. The vast majority of Americans, surveys show, believe that there is a God, but they aren't going to church and they aren't seeking God because it's for the hereafter. It doesn't help you right now. It's not going to pay your bills. It's not going to get you well. It's not going to give you joy. It's not going to give you peace because the church by and large is irrelevant because they aren't meeting the needs of people. That is not what God called us to do. The church, man, we ought to have such a reputation that if somebody's sick, they're beating your door down because you are having better results than the doctor's. If somebody's poor, they're coming to you because it's working. Pastor Tom over here has written a book on how to be a millionaire. Is that the name of it? And man, he's getting results all over the world and people are coming to him. That's the way that the Christians ought to be. We ought to be renowned for we are prospering financially, emotionally, physically, socially. And if we would walk in what Jesus has done for us, the world would come to our door. If we would catch on fire, the world would come watch us burn. But man, all we are is smoldering at the best and just putting off a stench and a lot of people aren't attracted to that. We need to be walking in the power of God. And so they said, send them away so that they can get their needs met. And Jesus said unto them, he says, give you them to eat. You feed this multitude. And when he told them to feed the multitude, look what they said. They said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give to them? A penny penny was a day's wage. So do we have to take 200 days wage? Just figure up what that would be today. I don't know what the average income is, but if you said $30,000 a year, I think that's low. But if you figured that as an average income, this would be probably at least uh, $20,000 worth of bread. Are we going to go spend $20,000? They pulled the wallets out of their pocket. and Where are we going to get this money from? They looked to their own resources, not realizing that they had access to the supernatural ability of God. And this is exactly what people are doing today. Somebody comes with cancer and they say, well, have you been to the doctor? Not realizing that what we have is better than any doctor. Man, you can see things cured that a doctor could never do, and it'll be with less problems, less money, less recovery. It could be instantaneous. It's just a thousand times better, and yet the average Christian wouldn't dare say something like that. Liability issues. I was talking to a pastor not long ago, and he says, you know what? As a traveling preacher, you can say these things, but a pastor can't say this. Because he has to live with it and liability issues. I think that's wrong. That's wrong. 
And here's what Jesus said. He said unto them, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they said five and two fishes. Out of this multitude, there was 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children, but there were children because it was a child that had these five loaves and two fish. So there was women and children. I bet you that there was a minimum of 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. And out of 15,000 people, they had five loaves and two fish. (laughs) That's all they had. Most people would think, no way. Look at what Jesus did. He commanded them to sit down by companies upon the green grass and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat the loaves were about 5,000 men. You know, there's a lot in this. I'm not going to teach on this. Let me just say this very quickly that I sat down one time and figured out that if you had 5,000 people and I actually multiplied it to 10 because I'm convinced that there was a minimum of 10,000 people. And if you divided them into groups and if each disciple had to run and get a basket full of food and run and then go take it to the people and then come back and get another basket full of food and go back and forth. I figured this out. It would have taken a minimum of seven hours to feed 10,000 people with that system. And the scripture here says it was towards the end of the day. And that's the reason the disciples said, make them depart. So even if you're generous and say it was three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, By the time you add seven hours to that, that would have stretched well into the night. And they left at sundown and departed in the ship. And so it couldn't have taken that long. Therefore, the only way this miracle could happen, Jesus didn't break the bread and the fish and it multiplied in his hands. What he did was take these five loaves and two fish and broke them into pieces and gave each one of the disciples a piece of fish and a piece of bread. And the disciples walk towards, and I have this figured out in my study Bible. I forget what it is right now, but each disciple had something like 10 groups of a hundred, 700 or 800 people or something. And so here they are, like, I don't know how many we have here this morning, but we have a little less than a thousand, maybe eight or 900 people. This would be like me walking towards you with one little piece of bread and a little piece of fish. And I said, all right, I'm here to feed all of you. Can you imagine what this was like? These disciples were walking towards a group this size with this little piece of bread and little piece of fish. And the miracle had to take place in their hands as they broke it. That's the only way that you could do it in this amount of time. They walked there with just basically just a tiny bit of bread, a tiny bit of fish. And as they broke it off and gave one person a piece, they still had as much. And the multiplication took place in their hands, not in the hands of Jesus. But see, this is descriptive of the way that we are. Here's the world out there that's dying of cancer and AIDS and they're having financial problems and just every imaginable problem. And you know what? In yourself, you look at this and God, I'm not sufficient. God, I can't meet this. But you aren't going in just yourself. You've been commissioned by God and God has sent us. 
And we are to go unto people and say, in the name of Jesus, you know, we meet your need. And you say things that are beyond your natural ability. And as you get bold and speak in faith, God supernaturally takes the little bit that you have and multiplies it. And people's, people get healed and miracles happen and people get saved and things like this. Man, this is really descriptive of how the ministry works. And yet most of us aren't seeing ourselves in Christ Jesus and the power that we have in Christ. And instead... We are just approaching people and saying, God, I'm only human. God, what can I do to help this person? You aren't only human. There's one third of you that is wall to wall Holy Ghost. There's one third of you that has been born again. You have the power of God, the authority of God living on the inside of you. And the problem has been that Christians haven't been approaching the situations, the needs that they encounter every day in the strength of the Lord. They've been doing it in their own might and in their own power. We need to recognize it. Praise God. You are God's answer. You know, wherever you work, those people need you. And some of you think, well, I'm nobody special. You've been born again. Your opinion of God is better than their opinion of God. Oh, well, that's arrogant. I would never say that. That's the reason that you aren't making an impact. You need to recognize that if you're born again and if they're lost... Your opinion of God is better than their opinion. And you need to sit there and you need to promote your opinion and try and get people to come over to your opinion of God. If you have been healed, if you believe that God heals today, then your opinion of God in the area of healing is better than most people's opinion of God. You need to recognize that God has put power on the inside of you and we need to quit being uh, intimidated by the ungodly and recognize that they're the ones that are weird, not us. This, this won't bless some of you because many of us have been intimidated and cowed by the world. But the Bible says in John, uh, Psalms 14.1 and in uh, Psalms 53.1, both of those Psalms are basically identical. It says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. A person who doesn't acknowledge God is a fool from Scripture. Well, most people, oh, I'd never say that. And we got all of the heavens declaring the glory of God. We got all of these wonderful things and people can't figure out if there's a God or not. How dumb can you get and still breathe? You know what? If one of these lunar landers are, let's say that they send one of these things to Mars and if they came upon a house, if a house was on Mars and it was all covered with dust and it was grown over, but there was a house and there's windows and doors, a three bedroom house with indoor plumbing. If they came upon something like that, how stupid would you have to be to say, well, I think that this is just a natural rock formation and that the porcelain and the doors and the windows and the roof and all of this, it just somehow or another evolved. If you found something like that on Mars, I guarantee you you would say somebody, some person, some living creature has been here. Things like that don't happen. And yet that's an inanimate object that can't reproduce itself. It is not even to be put in the same category as a person, a physical body that has all of these miracles in it and the, and the glory. I saw a poster recently where it was a picture of the Himalayas and it was just mountain after mountain. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. And underneath it says, what do I have to do to get your attention? God. 
Psalms 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no tongue nor language that hadn't heard these words. Creation is shouting, shouting at anybody who's got any sense at all that there has to be a God. You take a blade of grass, and you know what? A blade of grass Science, with all of its power and authority, can't produce a blade of grass. They can make something that imitates it and looks like it, but it'll never reproduce. It'll never grow. It won't produce another blade of grass, which is one of the definitions of something that is alive. You take all a man's power, and if you could create one blade of grass that could somehow or another reproduce and grow and multiply and spread, I guarantee you the scientific community would be screaming and shouting from the housetops that we have created life. With all of our ability, we can't do that. And yet you look out and there's billions and billions and billions of blades of grass. A blade of grass ought to tell a person that there's a God. If they aren't hard-hearted. It's foolish that people can't know that there's a God. If they don't know that there's a God, brothers and sisters, you need to wake up. We have a revelation that the world needs. You have things that the world needs and you need to go out and quit magnifying your lack and inadequacies and quit saying things like, well, I'm only human and what makes my opinion better than anybody else? You're going to heaven. They're going to hell. Your opinion is better than theirs. Amen. And there's a lot of people, there's probably a lot of Christians in this room who will sit there and be critical because I say stuff like that. And that's the very reason that you aren't salt and light because you don't think you have anything to offer. And so you sit there and you allow people to speak things that you know are wrong according to the scripture. It's not the right representation of God and you don't say anything because you aren't confident that your opinion is better than theirs. I'm not sitting here and saying that in the natural I'm better than anybody else, but I can guarantee you I'm born again and my opinion of God is better than a person that doesn't know God. I had an atheist come into one of my Bible studies in Vietnam and he was a Princeton graduate and he started raising these theological issues that, man, I just don't go there. I was talking to this preacher last week and this preacher says, now, I'm an Armenian. And I'm this. And he had a system of theology over here. And I believe in the omniscience. And the omn- And he was using words that I don't even know what they were. And he was telling me about this is what he is. And he says, what are you? And I said, I don't even know what this stuff is. I said, I don't have a system of theology over here outside of the Bible that I've embraced. And this is who I am. I said, I just believe whatever this says. I said, I don't, I don't have something over here that I go to the Word and try and find something that will fit this. I said, whatever this says, this is what I believe. And I don't know if that's Calvinist or Arminian. I don't know if I'm omniscient or I'm not pre- I don't know all of those words. I just know that this is what I believe. And he was just shocked. Like, you don't have a position on this? And I said, no, I don't care. We don't teach theology in our Bible college. We teach the Bible. Amen. There's a difference. I forgot why I got off on that. But anyway, 
These people were trying to meet the needs, but they were just focused on what they didn't have and they were thinking about what they didn't have, but they had the blessing of God. God had blessed what they put in their hand and they could go out and feed 800 to 1,000 people because Jesus had blessed it. You've been blessed by God. You've been commanded to go and if you would go and if you would walk up to the person who's dying of cancer and say, I can heal that in the name of Jesus. Some of you are like, Don't ever say that you could heal. It's not you, it's God. Well, in Acts chapter 3, they saw the man at the gate of the temple and they said, Silver and gold, have I none? Some people teach, see, they were in poverty. This prosperity gospel doesn't work. That just means that they left their wallet at home. (laughs) They didn't have any money with them. I don't have any money on me, but such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they never even prayed a prayer. They didn't even ask God to heal the man. They said, such as I have, give I unto thee. And they just reached down and grabbed him and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And he was healed. They didn't pray. They didn't ask. They took the authority and said, such as I have, give I unto thee. It is not your power. It's God's power, but it's in you. And it's at your disposal. And see, the church by and large is saying, Oh God, we are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. But we believe that you can do all things. Would you stretch forth your mighty hand? Please, pretty please, if it be your will, would you heal this person? And we know that you probably aren't going to answer my prayer, so I'm going to go and get uh, a prayer chain and 100,000 people and 50 churches praying and we're going to put so much pressure on you that you'll have to move. And that's the way that the church is approaching healing. Man, the Bible says that God gave you this power and he said, you speak unto your mountain. You command this mountain to be removed. Don't talk to God about your mountain. Talk to your mountain about God. Take your authority and tell people. Brothers and sisters, you have the power of God on the inside of you. It is not out there. And the demons aren't blocking your prayers from getting through to God. This is one of the fallacies that's in the body of Christ that, oh, the demons are blocking. We got to clear a hole in the heavens so that our prayers can get up past the demons to God. You don't need your prayers to get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. That's the reason you bow your head when you pray so you can look at God. You say, Father, God's right here on the inside. He's not out there somewhere. This whole concept, the way the church functions is the reason that we aren't effective. God gave you power. And you got it on the inside of you. Now you got a choice. Are you going to approach your situation like, God, I am nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing. Would you please move? If you do that, you get nothing. But if you would find out who you are in Christ and stand in who you are in Christ, you could see supernatural power. You could see blind eyes open, deaf ears open. You could see people's lives changed. You could see finances come. You could see people set free from depression and things. And you could be a testimony that would draw people to God. Instead of like Gandhi. Gandhi said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't have meant one. And that man who was convinced that Jesus was God and went to a Presbyterian church to make a profession of faith wasn't allowed in the church because he was black. And he said, I would have been a Christian if I hadn't meant one. And he went and led India to independence and 750 million people into pagan worship because Christians didn't represent God right. 
There's nothing wrong with God. It's just the representations that he has. These people were supposed to go out and meet the needs of people, and they ultimately did. But here, here, you know, believe it or not, I'm just now getting to where I was wanting to go. In uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 41, it says, talking about Jesus, when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed. You know, this is subtle and sometimes people miss this. But you know, this word looked up isn't talking about that he raised his head. Now, he may have done that, but that's not what this is talking about. The Greek word that is used here is a compound Greek word in its uh, two, two words, ana, blepo, and ana means again or return. And the word blepo means to watch. And it is specifically talking about seeing something, but seeing it twice or seeing it again is the point that it's being made. This same word 15 times in the New Testament was translated received sight. It was used three times in Acts chapter 9 where Paul, you know, he had gone blind and and the Lord told Ananias to go and he will receive his sight. Talking about get sight again. And then Ananias laid hands on him and scales fell from his eyes and he received sight. He saw again. This word is always talking about seeing again. It's talking about looking twice. And so here's the significance of what I'm trying to say. Jesus had nothing but five loaves and two fish. And according to the natural realm, that's not enough for 10,000 or 15,000 people. But Jesus looked up. He saw twice. He saw beyond the natural realm and he saw into the spiritual realm. And he realized that all things are possible to him that was believed. When it says that he looked up, he did more than lift his head. What he was doing, he was seeing with his heart. He was looking past the limitations in the natural realm and he was seeing the power that was available to him as the son of God. And because of that, he was able to bless this food and multiply it and feed a multitude and a great miracle happened. This is what we have to do. If you're going to be positive in a negative world, you're going to have to learn how to see with your heart, how to see beyond the physical natural realm. You're going to have to learn how to see things that other people can't see. You're going to have to see yourself differently. Instead of looking in the mirror and seeing all of the gray hairs and the bulges and the zits and the ugly and things like this and just thinking about yourself in the natural, you need to see yourself as who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you follow this, this is significant all the way through Scripture. Like for instance, over in Psalms chapter 5, it says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And then in verse 3, it says, In the morning you will hear my prayer. O Lord, in the morning I will look up. That's not talking about just raising your head. It's talking about in the morning when I approach you, I'm going to start seeing with my heart. I'm going to see things that other people can't see. I'm going to look twice. I'm going to look beyond just the natural physical things and I'm going to start seeing into the spiritual realm. In Daniel, the fourth chapter, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that wrote Daniel chapter 4. A pagan king wrote a a book in the Bible, Daniel chapter 4. And um, it's it's an unusual, it's a unique situation that a non-believer wrote a chapter in the Bible. And he wrote about how that he had all of this glory and power and he was walking on the... uh, 
the, you know, above the hanging gardens of Babylon, which was one of the eight wonders of the world. And he was looking at all of his majesty and glory and saying, look what I've got. Look what my power and my might has done. And a voice from heaven came and said, that's it. Your kingdom is taken from you. And he had already had a dream. And in this dream, there was this huge tree that filled the whole earth. And they came and put a metal band around it. And then an angel came and chopped that tree down. And for seven years, it just laid there until seven times is what it says in Daniel chapter four. And so they couldn't interpret it. They called Daniel and Daniel said, this is a word from God to you that you are that great tree, old king. And God is going to cut you down and make you nothing until you realize that God is the one that reigns, that God's the one that promoted you. It wasn't your own great power. And he says, because there was a metal ring around it, that means that God is going to keep your kingdom for you and preserve it. And after seven years, after you know that God is the one that rules, he'll return you to your kingdom. And his wife, Nebuchadnezzar's wife in Daniel chapter 4, asked him to break off his sins. And, and Daniel pleaded with him to break off of his sins. But he just kept in his pride. And finally that voice came and um, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and became like an animal. The man who had ruled the entire earth, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, became like an animal, lost his clothes, ran naked. His fingernails grew to where they were claws. His hair grew to where it was like fur on a person. And he was totally stark raving mad and ate grass for seven years. Crazy. And his wife, secular history, reports that his wife believed the prophecy of God that he was going to be restored after seven years. And she ran the kingdom and kept the kingdom going until Nebuchadnezzar came back and kept the other people from taking the kingdom away from him. And so uh, anyway, for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal. And then it says in... Daniel 4, something like 34. It's, uh, do you have that? Can you put that up there? Daniel 4, 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes to heaven and my understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. But look at that. It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven. This isn't talking about that he just raised his head. This is talking about that he looked twice. Finally, he was able to see beyond just the physical and see that it wasn't him that had done all of these things, that it was the supernatural God Almighty who had given him this and had raised him up to execute judgment upon the Jews and other things. And he looked up, he saw beyond the natural and his understanding returned unto him. And the last verse of that chapter says... Those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Man, is that an understatement or what? Go live like an animal naked for seven years, eat grass. And he, he just sums it all up by saying, those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Well, we need people today to look up and realize that there is a God. They can't even see God in all of the creation. They can't recognize because we have become blinded. We have eyes and we can't see. We have ears and we can't hear. You have to look with your heart. God made us to have an ability to see with our heart. Most people don't know this. We have become so sophisticated today. Our society has leaned under their own understanding. We have put a premium on science, quote unquote science. 
And we ridicule anything that is intuitive or something that you can just know in your heart. And there's no doubt that there has been superstition and people have made wrong mistakes. But I tell you what, nobody is as blind as a person who is only looking with your physical eyes. God made you to see with your heart. There are things that you can only know with your heart. You could take an atheist today, put him on this platform, and if I cocked a gun and put it to his head, an atheist would say, oh, God. (laughs) Everybody in their heart knows that there's a God. I had people in Vietnam tell me they were an atheist and argue with me, and yet when the bombs dropped and the bullets flew, every one of the atheists cried out to God at the top of their lungs. It is an absolute deception. It's a mind trip that people don't believe in God. Every person knows in their heart there is a God. Every person in their heart. God put a homing device on the inside of every one of us that just constantly is going off and asking questions. Is this all there is to life? You know what they call midlife crisis? Is nothing but God's homing device. That people all of a sudden are saying, man, I'm halfway through this thing. And you know what? I've now got a nice house. I got a car. I got kids. I got money. I got all of this. But I thought that this would make me happy and I'm not happy. Is this all there is to life? And they talk about having a midlife crisis. It's your homing device going off. (laughs) Trying to get you to recognize there's more than money and more than things. And yet we just try and take a pill to conquer it. Every time we get quiet and start thinking about, man, is my life going the way that it should? Am I going to be any different next year than I am this year? And you start thinking about it and it makes you feel uneasy. And so what you do is go rent a movie and get your mind off of it. (laughs) But the truth is God is speaking to every person constantly and you can see with your heart. In the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, um, Stephen was being stoned to death, the first martyr of the Christian church, and he had given a strong defense. And it says that as they were throwing stones at him, he was able to say, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. He was able to pray for the very people killing him. You know how he did it? It says, I believe it's Acts seven fifty-five, somewhere around there. It says he lifted up his eyes and saw Jesus standing on the right hand to God the Father. This isn't talking about he saw it with his physical eyes. It isn't talking about that he just looked up and if anybody would have looked up, they could have seen it. No, it's talking about with his spiritual eyes, he was able to see into heaven. And the scripture reveals in Hebrews chapter 10 that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. This is exceptional for Jesus to be standing. You know what I think was happening? I believe that Jesus saw the first person being put to death Because of his faith in Jesus, his association with Jesus. And Jesus stood in honor of Stephen. Jesus was standing there honoring his first martyr. And you know what? I believe that, man, that infused him with so much love and power that, man, even though they were stoning him to death, no problem. He was able to say, Father, don't lay this into their charge. If you would look up and see Jesus loving you and honoring you and standing there, I guarantee you'd be able to stand up around the water cooler and say, yes, there is a God, instead of backing down and cowing in front of things. If we would look up like Jesus did when he took this food, you know what we do? We take the little bit that we got and we say, oh God, who am I? How could you use me? And we curse what we have. I'm nobody. I can't do anything. God, how could you ever use me? This is what... Moses did. Moses says, God, I can't speak. 
I'm not an eloquent speaker. Jeremiah said the same thing. Jeremiah chapter one, oh God, I'm a child. I cannot speak. And God said, don't you ever say that you can't speak. Instead of cursing what we have, Jesus took what he had and blessed it and then break it and gave it to his disciples. We need to bless what we've got. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you know what? With God, God has used me to do things that are awesome. I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen multiple people raised from the dead. We've seen 30 or 40 people healed of deafness in the last couple of days. We have seen miracles happen. We've got little Hannah over here that's alive today because God took a hit from Texas that I am nothing in myself, but when God blesses me, I can speak the word of God and miracles can happen. You need to quit cursing what you have. Quit talking about your lacks and inadequacies and start thinking that, you know what? Me with God is a majority. I may not be anything in myself, but I'm not in myself. People will quote uh, John chapter 5 verse uh, 15 verse 5 where it says, Without me, you can do nothing. And they'll say, well, you're nothing without Jesus. And they'll just run you down. And, you know, I agree with every bit of that. Without Jesus, I am nothing. But I am not without Jesus. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And it's wrong for me to sit there and see myself separate from Jesus. It's wrong for me to have an opinion about myself, who I am, without Jesus. I'm not without Jesus. He'll never leave me. And some people think, well, you're arrogant. Well, you're just in unbelief. I'm not arrogant. I'm not talking about who I am in myself. I acknowledge that Jesus is the one living in me, but he is living in me. You know, a friend of mine, he went to Nigeria and he held a meeting and he saw deaf people healed and blind eyes open. Miracles happened. And the next day he was walking through the market in the, in the Lagos, I think it was. And as he walked through, people recognized him from the previous night's service. And these Nigerians started running and screaming and, and wanting to touch him. And his first thought was he, he, start, he just came close. He started to say, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus. Don't look to me. That's what he was going to do. And before he could do it, the Lord spoke to him and said, Dave. He says, what would you have thought? If when I rode into Jerusalem on that donkey and they threw palm branches in the way and they threw their robes in the way and they said, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. What would you have thought if that donkey would have said, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. <laughs> he said nobody thought it was the donkey. They were praising the one that was riding on the donkey, not the donkey. He says, you're just the donkey. He says, let them praise. They're not praising you. They're praising the one that's in you. Amen. So when you sit there and say, I've had people come up and say, you healed me last year. Instead of going, no, not me in the name of Jesus. It was just, I just say, thanks. I know that they aren't talking about me. They're talking about the one who lives on the inside of me. The people who are, oh, it's not me. Please don't glorify me. They're the only ones who think it is them. It actually is an indication of how self-centered you are. Man, do a little bit of translation, interpretation, and just recognize that those people aren't praising you. They're praising the God that lives on the inside of you. Man, we need to lift up our heads. We need to look up. 
and be able to see with your heart. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, there's not a person in here. If, if you are born again, God himself lives on the inside of you. And he didn't just stick one toe inside and then someday you're going to get more of God and eventually you'll be really like God. No, in the spirit, you're identical to God. First John chapter four, verse 17 says, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. You are identical to Jesus in your spirit. The only problem is most of our heads don't know what we got in our spirit. And we are looking at who we are in the mirror. And we're looking at our last uh, job evaluation. And we're looking at natural things to tell us who we are and what we can do. We need to get into the Word of God and find out who we are in Christ and begin to start going out with just the little bit that we've got. And instead of cursing it, lift up your eyes and see what you really could do through Christ. We read that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's not a person in here that can't heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. You have that power on the inside of you. The problem isn't that you haven't been blessed and that God hasn't given it to you. The problem is you haven't looked up. You're seeing with your physical eyes, looking in the mirror. You aren't seeing with your heart. You don't know who you are. I tell you, if you could see the way I'm talking about, if you could see with your heart, you can be encouraged in a discouraged situation because you know what? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Everything is just perfect. You have to have an ability to see with your heart. I'm going to discuss that a lot more tonight. So if you can, come back and I'll share about that. But I've just set you up for something really good. And I'm going to share tonight. I don't ever finish. I just quit and we'll start again tonight. If you don't know Jesus personally, then you know what? You need to be born again. You need to have Jesus on the inside of you. If all you are is just a physical person, it doesn't matter if your physical person is stronger than mine, better looking than mine, better educated than mine, more talented than mine, your physical body is going to pass away. It's corruptible. You cannot relate to God based on who you are in the natural. You must be born again. You need to have God living on the inside of you. If you don't have God living on the inside of you, you need that today. And then once you get born again, Jesus said, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't tell anybody about this great news that Jesus was raised from the dead until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do anything until he received the Holy Spirit and he was perfect. He was sinless. And yet God is so dependent upon the other parts of the Godhead. Jesus would not operate independent of the Holy Spirit. He had to have the Holy Spirit come and descend upon him and empower him before there was a single miracle done, before he, anointed, before he began his ministry. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit... You receive gifts. One of them is speaking in tongues. If you don't have the gift of speaking in tongues, you either don't have the Holy Spirit or you haven't let the Holy Spirit operate this gift through you, but you need it. It is a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's for every single person who receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here today who would say, I need one or both of those. I either need to make Jesus my Lord, be born again, or I'm already saved, but I need 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you and help you receive. Here's some hands back here. Anybody else? Here's some hands over here. If you raised your hand, just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive here this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come right down here, brother. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Awesome. God bless you. Anybody else? You know, I know that there's people at every service who think, well, I don't want to go down there. You're afraid of what we're going to do. If you've been at these meetings, all we do is just give you some instruction, pray for you, and then we give you a free book. There's no reason for you not to come. I'm not asking you to join a church. I don't have a church for you to join. I don't pastor a church. I believe that you ought to go to church. I believe in having a good church. But this isn't about you joining the church. All we're wanting to do is to help you receive the greatest gift that God could ever give. And I have people say, well, why don't you have everybody bow their head and close their eyes so I wouldn't be embarrassed? Why do you make me walk down here in front of all of the people? I'm not asking you to come get the plague. I'm asking you to come receive a tremendous gift from God. Why do you have to act like you don't want anybody to see if I was to say, I'll give you a million dollars, raise your hand and come down here, I bet you you'd probably do that and wouldn't care. What I'm offering you is much, much more important than a million dollars. I just don't have any reason why I think that we have to be apologetic about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't take you into a back room. Now, we do take you in there to give you a book and ask if you have any questions, but... We don't hide this. We don't have to take you into a back room to get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. Man, I think this is a great honor. Anybody else? You know, if you aren't speaking in tongues, you ought to be down here. Some of us think, well, I got the Holy Spirit when I was born again. I'm not even going to debate that with you. Do you speak in tongues? Well, I, I believe I can have the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. Well, I believe you can too. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. And I got the Holy Spirit. You don't have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit. But I can pray in tongues and you can too. If you aren't speaking in tongues, somebody's messed with you. You need to get down here and you need to get to speaking in tongues. Amen. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. All right, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says that you first of all have to be born again. You have to have Jesus living in you. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what you get baptized with. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely sure about whether or not you've been born again? And you need to pray, first of all, to make Jesus your Lord. Is there anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody? Anyone? Here's one. Well, that's great. No problem. If you aren't sure, you need to pray. The Bible says that when you get born again, you have a witness in yourself and you just know that you've passed from death unto life. If you aren't absolutely sure, you need to raise your hand. Let me pray with you so that you can be born again. Anyone? 
I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith. I'm just wanting you to be sure. Amen. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You know, I, I noticed Wendell left. If any of you want to go to that uh, Bible college meeting, they're going to start that probably in five minutes or so, and that's going to be over there. You're welcome to go. And any of you down here, we'll be through with you in just a few minutes, and you can go and still get in on that. But what we're going to do is, first of all, pray with these two, and I'm going to pray the words that you need to pray. If you will say this and mean it in your heart, then you'll be born again. Jesus has already forgiven your sins. He's already paid for it. He's already died for your sins. It's not a matter of will He forgive your sins. He has forgiven your sins. It's a matter of will you make Him your Lord. That's what it says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Are you all willing to do that? Amen. Let's pray this. I want everybody to repeat this so they won't feel like we're just listening to them. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Welcome. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Welcome to the family. You know what? You all still look the same on the outside, but on the inside, you're a brand new person. You'll spend the rest of your life figuring out what happened to you. Isn't that great? And now, according to the Bible, all of you up here are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In their spirit, they have just been made a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. God created you for this. So you don't have to beg and wonder, will He fill me with the Holy Spirit? This is what He made you for. He's been wanting this day. He's been waiting on this day. So we aren't going to beg. Some people teach that you have to tarry and beg. I don't believe that. Some people teach that you have to be holy. You can't have any sin or problems in your life. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The very reason that you need the power of God is so that you can start living a holy life and that you can overcome your problems. So God's not going to reject you based on some problem in your life. He created you for this. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to ask and receive. And then I've got our prayer ministers and I'm going to ask them to come up here and these people are going to stand behind you and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're just going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, release the power of God into you, and then I want you to quit asking and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Take a step of faith and believe the promise. The promise in Luke eleven thirteen says, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So that's what God promised. So we aren't going to continue begging. We're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. And then I want you to start thanking God. Just start praising Him and thanking Him. Father, thank You that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank You that from this time forth I have the power of God. And we're going to start thanking God. And those behind you who already have the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray in tongues. Because the Bible says that when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks. Well, you're praising God. So we're going to start praising God in our prayer language. And I want you to quit praising Him in English and start praising Him in tongues. 
And I know some of you think, well, man, I don't understand. How do I speak in tongues? What do I do? I've got a book that will explain it. I hadn't got any more time to share with you. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue is going to be unique to you. It won't come out the same. And once you start talking and it's different, just keep talking. Amen. Anyway, I'll explain it all in the book. But that's what we're going to do. Are you, are you ready? Are you going to speak in tongues? The Bible says believers speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak with tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for these two that got born again. Thank you, Father, that they are brand new. And thank you that every one of us in our spirit are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That, Father, you created us to fill with your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we're ready. We open up the doors of this temple. We welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives right now and fill us with your power. We ask and believe that we receive. Now, we lay hands on them and say, Receive the Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus. We loose this power and anointing to flow into your body right now. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are indwelling every one of these right now with your power and anointing. We loose this into their lives in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Now let's lift your hands and start thanking God that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Quit asking and start thanking Him. Take a step of faith. Thank you, Father, that I am now filled with the Holy Spirit that I have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that I can speak in tongues, I can prophesy. I am now baptized in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And as we pray in tongues, you just join in with us. Switch over from speaking in English and start speaking in tongues. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Don't listen to yourself Talk out of your heart to God. You're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing your doubt and your unbelief. And you're speaking directly from your spirit to God. It's without the limitations of your mind, your spirit. And it doesn't matter what it sounds like. It's like a little child. When they start speaking, it may not sound like a full language, but boy, their parent knows what they're saying. Your heavenly Father knows what you're trying to communicate. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Just speak. Just speak right now. That's it. Just keep speaking. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. I'd recognize Him anywhere. Thank you, Jesus. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You got to speak. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sorry to interrupt you, but let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues right now or not, I believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. When I first prayed, in, uh, prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. 
I had the Holy Spirit and there was a change in my life. But when I started speaking in tongues, it's like it just doubled, it tripled. It's important that you speak in tongues. And I believe that God gave you this gift of speaking in tongues, but you need to go on and speak in tongues. Most of you were praying in tongues, but if you didn't pray in tongues, I believe God still gave you the Holy Spirit. You just need to go on and release your faith and experience this gift. I know some of you have questions about it. I've written a book that will explain the whole thing. It'll show you from scripture. It'll explain what the benefit of speaking in tongues is. And I've had thousands of people speak in tongues after reading this book. So we've got Ashley right here, the one that gave his testimony this morning. He's going to take you and give you a free book. Also, if you have any questions, they'll pray with you. If you'd go with him for just a moment, I'd like to encourage you to go and get that book because we want you to get the full benefit. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Hey, God bless you. Your whole life's going to change. I know. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) This lady's saying, I spoke in another language. I know. Thank you, Jesus. She got born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you that they are having this meeting about the Bible college over here. If you have ever considered this, you need to at least go check out this meeting. You know, maybe the timing isn't right or something, but if you have a desire to go to Bible school, I guarantee you the devil didn't put the desire for Bible school in your heart. Amen. You ought to go check it out and it would be a blessing to you. So please take advantage of that. These are our prayer ministers. If anybody here needs prayer, You know, just exactly what I was talking about today. These are people that have been able to see beyond just their physical realm. They know that in themselves they aren't special, but in Christ Jesus, every one of them have the ability to release this life-giving power of God. And so if you need prayer for anything, I'd like to invite you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. We've got some people standing at each aisle that are going to direct you towards a person so that you won't all just get on one side. It helps everything flow better. And so please cooperate with them. But if you need prayer for anything, I want to encourage you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you and minister. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The rest of you, we're going to be praying with people. Um, You're welcome to stay and pray with us. Remember that we have this meeting about the Bible college. And then tonight, our service starts at 6 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock. We do that so that my crew can pack up everything and get to bed before 3 in the morning. And so we'll be here at 6 o'clock tonight instead of 7 o'clock. And uh, I encourage you to come back. Don't forget that we have all of the materials out there that are available And we also have CDs and DVDs of the four services that we've had this weekend already duplicated. They're already back there. You can pick them up on your way out. And, of course, we have all of the other materials. Don't forget to get that um, DVD on Destiny Stories that had Hannah's testimony on it. I tell you, it's a life changer. It'll bless you. So please take advantage of those things. You're dismissed. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we thank you, Father, that your healing power is flowing right now towards every one of these in Jesus' name. We believe, just like when you fed the 5,000, that, Father, we in ourselves may not have the power, but you are in us and we have this raising from the dead power on the inside of us. As we lay hands on these, we believe that that supernatural power of God flows through every one of these prayer ministers and that healings take place. Miracles happen. Father, thank you that limbs are restored. And Father, miracles are taking place right now in every one of these. Thank you, Jesus. We loose your power and your anointing and believe for a perfect manifestation in every single person. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here has had a problem with your throat swallowing. You can't swallow liquids and foods. There's a, there's a problem here. Been causing problems. If that's you, I want you to stand, raise your hand. There's one back there. Anybody else? Who's this that has a problem swallowing? I see a couple of people. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Here's a couple of more. Here's one. Oh, yes, your son. Anybody else? Father, in the name, here's a lady over here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release this anointing. And I thank you that you are healing whatever's wrong with this throat. In the name of Jesus, we just release that power of God and command these throats to be healed. Praise God. Oh, right there is the anointing of the Lord flowing in you. Father, we agree and we receive this. Thank you, Father, for touching them. And I thank you that whatever that problem is, is healed. Thank you, Jesus. Cancer of the throat. I curse cancer in the name of Jesus and command that to die and be gone. Father, thank you for this throat being healed. We agree and we receive it now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I feel like there's a number of people here that have been having problems with your eyesight. And here's the healing power of God flowing. I believe God is restoring eyes. If this is you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Father, right now for all of these, we just curse this poor eyesight. Whatever the cause of it is. Whatever the cause is, we command this poor eyesight to leave in Jesus' name. And Father, I loose your anointing right now. And I believe that you are touching eyes. And that these eyes are seen in Jesus' name. Retinas are being reattached. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that your anointing is flowing and just taking care of disease. That eyes are being reshaped so that the focus is right. We command stigmatisms to be gone. Father, we just loose your anointing. I command glaucoma to be gone. In the name of Jesus, we loose your anointing. And I thank you, Father, for touching people's eyes. We believe that from this moment forth, their eyesight improves. And Father, they are going to recover. We thank you. We believe. And thank you, Jesus. 
for our healing. Thank you that our eyes are good. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive it. You know, when I was a kid and got drafted and sent into Vietnam, I had to have glasses. I couldn't see, and yet I just refused it. And I believed God, and I've been believing God ever since then. And I sometimes see a little better than others. About two years ago, I was just speaking the word that my eyes were healed, and I can't tell you what the difference was, but they got a lot better. And I can read the small print in this Bible and stuff, and I don't have glasses, and I've never had a treatment for it. You can do this, but you're just going to have to stand and believe, and you're going to have to get to where you believe with your heart better than you believe what you see with your eyes. And I believe God's improving your eyesight. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. Can any of you in here tell a difference in your eyes already? Can you see better? Anybody? Here's somebody back there. Praise the Lord. They've already, their eyesight is better. Anybody else? Here's a man back here. Here's two over here. Praise the Lord. You know what? If God touched four or five of you, God touched all of you. The healing power of God is there. It's like Ashley and and Carly were sharing. You've just got to speak and say, in the name of Jesus, eyes, you're healed. And you are improving. And you keep speaking to it. And your eyes will get better. I went for a driver's license one time and they said that I flunked and I had to go get glasses. The next day, I went and got prayer that night. The next day, I went back to the same machine, same lady, and flunked again. And she said, I told you you needed glasses. And I said, wait a minute. And I started praying in tongues. And boy, it just came crystal clear. I read the bottom line on the machine. And this woman was so freaked. She just gave me my driver's license and didn't say nothing. But you know what? After I left there, I still couldn't see properly. And so I figured, well, it worked when I was looking into that machine. So I would get into a restaurant and I'd see like an exit sign above the door. And I'd cover up my right eye and I'd look with my left eye. And I'd pray in tongues until it would come into focus. And at first, it would take 20 minutes of praying in tongues. But that thing would come into focus and then it would stay for 20 or 30 minutes. But as I kept doing that, it got to where it would only take a minute for it to come into focus. And it would stay in focus for a day or for a week. And I did that for years. And now my eyes are just in focus. And I still have to deal with it some. But it wasn't just instantaneous. I believed God for my eyesight. Praise God, it's working. Amen. You can do that. God's healing power is on the inside of you. Just start speaking the word over yourself. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive that. Thank you for your healing power. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. 
Ipinantrantara bronto lono bronto kobera bronto. 